Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast with me, B. Stevenson. I'm delighted to be speaking today with Arun Pak today, who is the CEO and co-founder at WinWin Food Labs. We're going to be speaking about WinWin's cocoa-free chocolate and the processes and implications around this. Welcome to the podcast, Arun. Thank you, B. It's really exciting to be on here and I can't wait to talk to you more about what we're building. To start with, could you just give some background to WinWin Food and its cocoa-free chocolate? Women Food Labs, you know, who are we? We call ourselves a food tech company, and we're using the power of fermentation to create alternatives for unsustainable, unethical ingredients out there. So what do I exactly mean by that? You know, they're ingredients that historically may incur quite a lot of deforestation. They grow along the equator. They have a lot of water use and or they have a lot of dubious labor practices. And for instance, our first project is going to be cocoa-free chocolate. So what that means is that we're creating a much more sustainable alternative to chocolate that uses more local ingredients such as legumes, cereals, and that have much less carbon footprint associated with it. What are the main ingredients that are going into your chocolate and undergoing that fermentation process? I guess if we take a step back, we actually follow a really similar process to say how chocolate is made today. So for instance, they have the cocoa pod, the farmers break it apart, inside there are seeds, and then they ferment that on the forest floor. And after that, it's roasted, it's conched, it's melange. You have sugars and fats, all the delicious things in the world that we like are added to the mixture. And then you get the chocolate bars that we pretty much consume almost every day, at least I do. So we kind of took that entire process and we said, hey, we can take those principles, but just shift it in a slightly different way. So instead of using industrial mass-produced cocoa, we decided to use different ingredients as our base. For instance, cereals and legumes. And what we do is we follow then a very similar process. We use different microbes, but we ferment them, we roast them, we conch them. We follow a very similar process to chocolate. And that's how we get products that are really similar. And we can pop our chocolate mass, in essence, directly into existing chocolate manufacturing equipment. And anyone out there can actually manufacture it as well. So we've done that on purpose so that we are scalable and we can be the most sustainable company out there in terms of cocoa-free chocolate, at least. In terms of those different ingredients that you might be using, do they have different impacts as well in terms of health? There are a couple things. Because we ferment them, we have a very similar antioxidant profile to chocolate. But two key areas where we do differ are we don't have any caffeine in our chocolate and we also don't have any theobromine. That's why dogs actually can't eat chocolate. You know, we like to say, hey, you can actually share it with some of your best friends, your dog friends. And the other flip side is because we don't use any palm oil or cocoa butter, we use a different fat substitute. We have less saturated fat as well. And so we're also working on reducing our sugar content for the future. You know, the thing about chocolate is that fat and sugars are delicious and they should be a part of your chocolate, but maybe not part of your daily diet entirely, but definitely a portion of it. Agreed. And you say that you're trying to be very scalable. So do you see the companies and the chocolate, the product as kind of a niche for ethical consumers, or perhaps it's becoming a larger part of the chocolate industry in the future? Our aim as a company is actually that we are the impetus for mass change across the industry. We've seen action. It's really slow to come by, you know, that change. You know, Harkin Engel protocol was signed, what, 20 plus years ago? but yet we're still talking about the same issues today. We believe that the niche customer will begin that change, but our product will be in the industrial, the mass market, because that is the main driver of a lot of the 
issues that we have today. But we do definitely believe that our ethical consumer, our vegans, our vegetarians have been typical trendsetters, right? But then we are seeing, seeing those trends really filter down to the mass market now. In theory, if the trend of cocoa-free or extending to coffee bean-free coffee, for instance, yeah. to stretch it, if this did become a big part of the mass market, what happens to the farmers that farm the cocoa? So that's a great question. And that's something we're looking to partner up with various organizations to try and seek an answer to. We need to break this system of how we're consuming chocolate. The way we're consuming mass market chocolate, it's not sustainable in its current form. And we need to break that cycle. We're hoping that by creating an alternative to those types of chocolates, perhaps the price of cocoa will increase. And that makes the farmers more able to invest in their farms, seek more sustainable methods of growing, actually afford to send their kids to school. Like, this is the type of cycle we're looking to break. And the other thing I'd like to mention is we're not anti-chocolate. Actually, there are amazing chocolates out there. A lot of companies that are doing the right thing, but to make that the industry standard, now that's tough. When you see demand growing 6% year on year, you really have to think, you know, how are we going to meet that demand? The way we're currently producing now, it's unsustainable. Climate change also makes it so that we can't produce the way we're doing it now. So these are all questions that we really kind of need to come up with really creative solutions to. Our way of addressing that question is, hey, can we create something that tastes just as delicious, that has a lower impact on human labor, on the environment? and still addresses a lot of those issues. So catalyzing a change in the system whilst also presenting a tangible alternative. Yeah. Are you seeing mainstream chocolate companies adopting the same kind of processes or the same approach? Our aim is that mainstream chocolate companies like Nestle or Mondelez, I really want them to start thinking differently, right? The answer for them has always been more chocolate, maybe better chocolate. Are we seeing that? I'm not so sure. It's really up to them to start thinking differently, I think. However, that being said, what we aim to offer as the cocoa-free chocolate alternative, it's meant to slot in directly into what machinery, what chocolates, what products they already have. So our answer is, hey, there is an alternative out there. We don't need to continue pursuing such extractive practices. Do you supply to companies as well as consumers? At this time, we are gearing up for that. We have been much more focused on getting our consumer brand up and ready and our consumer products. We did two limited edition launches last year. We sold out within 24 hours. So I'm really super excited to <laughs> talk about that. This year, we'll be doing much more focus on the consumer products. And then later this year, we'll be focused on scaling up so that we can actually meet B2B demand. So I wanted to ask a bit about fermentation because there's a fair amount of buzz around it and different forms of it at the moment. I just wanted to ask why we're seeing that and do you have a sense of its pervasiveness or growth potential? Fermentation has been around for millennium, right? It's the reason why a lot of our foods taste so amazing. So cheese, beer, wine, bread, humans have co-opted fermentation and we love it. It's delicious. So I'm Korean American. So like I've grown up around kimchi my entire life. I would not be here today if it were not for fermented foods. 
the interesting thing is that the food tech world especially has now decided, hey, fermentation can actually solve a lot of our problems. It makes foods more delicious, more nutritious, but there are different types of fermentation, right? You have your more traditional types of fermentation, which are all the things that I've mentioned. Then you have your precision fermentation, which uses bioreactors and genetically modified organisms to create a lot of compounds or delicious things as well. I think the potential for fermentation is absolutely exponential. The only challenges that you'd have with precision fermentation is whether or not you can scale as quickly as we need to. Pharmaceutical industry has been using precision fermentation for a very, very long time. If they can do it, I believe food can also do it. However, there is a global shortage, so we do have to be mindful of that. This is why we as a company at WinWin have decided not to go the precision fermentation route. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on the podcast. It's been great to talk to you. Awesome. Thanks, Bea.